How often have you wanted to get inside the minds of your favorite celebrities to understand what it's really like to live as them? I mean, I definitely have. And now there's a podcast where you can. You can get a peek into the lives of celebrities like Riz Ahmed, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamila Jamil, Hozier, and so many more. Lemonada Media presents this brand new show called Ask Me with Sinead. It's hosted by activist, academic, TED Talker, and Vogue cover model, Sinead Burke. Look, I never knew that I had something in common with a Spice Girl or shared imposter syndrome with Riz Ahmed. Every chat is so fascinating. Subscribe now to Ask Me with Sinead wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Rashma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the podcast where we break away from perfection and seek to live braver, bolder, and happier lives. As many of you know, I'm the CEO of Girls Who Code, and today we have an important episode. It's about how our organization is supporting our girls in the wake of the corona crisis, what we're doing to continue to close the gender gap in tech during these difficult times, and how we're adapting to these unprecedented circumstances as a nonprofit. It's about being brave and being a leader when things get hard. And it's about helping our girls thrive, not just survive. Join me today to talk about how Girls Who Code is responding to our new reality is my incredible colleague, Dr. Tarika Barrett. She's the Chief Operating Officer of Girls Who Code. And even in the best of times, I rely so much on her for the important work we do. Right now, her leadership, creative thinking, and commitment to our girls is essential to helping me stay brave and ensuring Girls Who Code moves strongly and bravely ahead. Thanks for joining today's show, Tarika. So for our listeners... Can you give me a little overview of who you are and talk a little bit about the programs we run and the girls that we serve? Absolutely. Thank you, Rashma. It's such a pleasure to be here. So I am the Chief Operating Officer at Girls Who Code, and we have these phenomenal programs that I'm really excited to talk to you about. Um, Our largest and fastest growing program is our free after-school clubs model for girls starting in third grade and going all the way up to 12th grade. And this is a model that we've also brought internationally to Canada, the UK, and India. Um, But when you think about our work, our flagship program is actually our summer immersion program where we typically serve 1,600 girls who are hosted in 80 corporate partner offices across the country. Um, Beyond those models, we also have our college loops, and that's our alumni programming for over 80,000 college-aged alums and their female peers majoring or minoring in computer science. Amazing. So let's talk about the crisis that we're in, uh, COVID-19, and how are our students being affected by this? So, gosh, this is such a challenging time for so many of us. And this is absolutely the case for the girls who we serve. When we think about, as an organization, what we talk about all the time, Reshma, what's keeping us up at night, it's very much an awareness that half of our girls identify as Black and Latina and come from communities characterized as low income. These girls right now during this crisis desperately need our support, and we're constantly thinking about them. 
And, you know, right now, I think everyone's feeling it because schools are closed, but it's not just about education. With no schools, it also means that we're talking about nutritious food and meals. We're talking about counseling, therapy, frankly, and all the special ed services like occupational therapy and speech therapy. Um, and, you know, really important and something that we talk about every day is access to Wi-Fi. You know, we're worried about the students who we knew would be most affected during something like this with all of their core resources and safety nets having evaporated. And we recognize how quickly they could be left behind without these resources being in place. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up some really huge issues in, you know, we've been seeing this for years where many of our students were getting their one meal of the day in our summer program. And so, you know, when schools shut down, not only did they learn their ability to to be educated and and march up into the middle class, but, you know, they lost the one place where they may feel safe, where they get to eat, you know, where they get actually resources and support. And people are so excited about remote learning. You know, talk about how your socioeconomic status may be affecting the kinds of experience you have uh, while you're remote learning. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, virtual classrooms as, you know, this amazing opportunity and this panacea that it can solve a lot of things. But, you know, as we've talked about, this is also a moment where these things get amplified in a virtual environment. Let's start with the basics around Wi-Fi and who has access. When you're at school, you have access to Wi-Fi. When you're not at school, this does not look the same for all of our girls. And we know for a fact that we hear stories about girls having to drive over to a local Burger King to be able to access Wi-Fi. We also know that this looks really different in terms of time that girls can devote to their their schooling. So what happens in families that are extended, that are now in close quarters and are trying to like stay on top of schoolwork with spotty Wi-Fi and responsibilities like childcare or caring for a grandparent who's ailing or not ailing. So you can see how these differences all of a sudden, especially when we layer in that folks have lost their jobs and that there's stress around sort of economic opportunity, you know, these girls experience something completely different. Yeah. We were just talking about how like last night when I did a Zoom bravery break, like my son walked in and then my husband walked in and then the baby walked. I mean, it's just, and as adults, I remember I I was feeling like anxious or nervous or like, wow, like everyone's seeing my business right now. And I'm a 43 year old woman. Right. And I was (laughs) feeling that way, much less being a 13 year old child or a 16 year old child where now all of yourself, your environment is exposed uh, to everybody in your class. And I, I think that that causes a lot of anxiety, which is, you know, in some ways you're seeing, I mean, I know, I don't, I don't know if New York has released its numbers yet, but you know, in some school districts, only 60% of kids are actually even logging on, right. uh, to school. Right. No, that resonates for sure. We know that the digital divide is real. We have 12 million students who yeah. actually lack access to Wi-Fi. And as you give that example, Reshma, of you know your business being in the street and everyone being able to see things, it's basic things like what's your background in a video call? Or is there a noise? What can you do? How are you being interrupted? 
And it's the kind of thing that you see these professionals, these teachers who we rely on so desperately to provide these free clubs to our girls where they learn to code, who are saying, you know, what am I going to do where I have one student calling in from the Hamptons and another student calling in from a homeless shelter? You recognize that these teachers, the folks we rely on, you know, they have to differentiate their support in ways we never imagined. And all kinds of things are erupting, you know, on these visual calls. And, you know, school, as we understand, and Rashma, you were so good to share that article with me, where that teacher said, this is where our kids get to express themselves. This is where they get to be who they want to be. And all of a sudden, kids are confined to their homes. And they're, you know, the way that they get to express themselves, very, very different. And the vulnerability is really, really raw now. And we're yeah. seeing it in ways that we never anticipated. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, for us, so many of us, it's taken us... 40 years to be able to be vulnerable and to be authentic. And now we're asking kids to show up in ways that for many of us as adults, we can't. So we talked a little bit about what we're seeing K through 12, but um, we also run programs for college-aged alumni. And what are some of the challenges that you're seeing our college-aged alumni are facing? Yeah, so we did a call recently with actually, it was juniors and seniors in high school and decision day. And I think I'll talk about both groups. So we're talking about our alums who are just about to go into college, as well as the women who are already there. And I think what was powerful and humbling was the realization that they were so excited to apply to schools, to get into schools, but then they realized that they thought they'd be able to tour these campuses once they got their letters. And guess what? Now they can't do that. They're completely shut out. They're leaning on our sisterhood of other women who go to these schools or who can give them insight. So all of a sudden that's turned on its head. Mm. For our women who are in college now, the big issue in Rashma, this is something you hear too in terms of them reaching out to you, is that these internships are drying up or they're going virtual. And when you think about that, our women are the ones who really, really need that leg up in terms of what these opportunities represent for their professional trajectory. And what's even scarier as we think about it is that what's gonna happen, right? As the bottom has fallen out of the middle class and that these young women are gonna be turned to by family members and other pressures that they feel to re-enter the workforce or enter the workforce in a premature way so that when these internships and other things that are so prized come up again, Will our women, especially the ones who are most marginalized, will they be able to take advantage of that? Yeah, I did a Zoom class uh, for a class in new school uh, right before this. And, you know, it, it, you, you see even for the college age alumni, like in the beginning, none of them wanted to turn their video on. And it was like, right. well, I, uh, I don't like how I look today or I don't want you to see my background. And it's already of all these other kind of insecurities or... Or, or critiques on yourself that you're feeling, how can you participate? How can you ask questions? How can you actually feel confident and learn? And so it's a really, and we're not actually, we weren't prepared for this moment. So we're not actually giving students this, the tools that they need to thrive or the permission that they need to basically show up, right, as their authentic selves without judgment. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really, really, really huge challenge. Absolutely. So we've been up, you know, all day, all night talking about these issues and the things that are facing them and how we can serve them kind of short term 
and long-term, what are you thinking about? (sighs) What am I not thinking about is the question. I'll talk about two different strains of work that we immediately put into place. And I'm just so grateful for our staff at Girls Who Code. I don't know a more hardworking team or set of teams. We did two things. The first thing we did in this immediate moment was to launch Code at Home. And this is free programming, online and offline, coding activities for anyone who wants to access them. And these were absolutely meant to support parents and educators and, frankly, to inspire our girls. And so they include cool things like building binary bracelets, you know, algorithmic artists, and debug the maze, to name a few of the things that we put out there. And, you know, what we got back was amazing. We've had millions of engagements, dozens of photos of girls using these activities at home. We even had Astro Christine, one of the women who participated in the all-female spacewalk, share the activities, which was amazing. Um, And that's what we see as us being really innovative, being really nimble, but frankly, knowing that our girls really needed us at this critical moment and getting our teams to move really quickly to step into that gap. And we're so glad we did because our girls need that moment, both in the way of content, but also sisterhood. And so we had to do that. And I'm really, really proud that we were able to put that forward. Absolutely. Beyond that, I think it goes back to what was coming right next in terms of our timeline, which is summer. If you're a parent, you're thinking about summer. And for Girls Who Code, summer is this amazing opportunity where, as I mentioned, we have 1,600 girls across the country coming together in corporate partner offices where the magic happens, where girls from different backgrounds who would never normally work together because they live in different places, go to different schools, They come together and form bonds around learning to code from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and those bonds last a lifetime. So here we are in the middle of this pandemic and saying to ourselves, what's going to happen with our seven-week program? And we realized pretty quickly, and Rashma, think about how many conversations we've had about this, that we just couldn't and shouldn't try to recreate the magic of our seven-week program. It's our flagship, but we knew we'd have to come up with some new magic, frankly. So there are just a couple of things that we knew had to happen right away and speak to the issues of inequity that we've been talking about. First and foremost, we knew that we'd have to make it a shorter program so that girls could participate regardless of what obligations they would have. And we thought that was you know, critical. We also thought about accessibility and accessibility on every possible level. We were contemplating the hardware Wi-Fi issues, which are huge, home life and responsibilities. And of course, you know, students with disabilities, as we always do every year with our programming. But we thought it critical that we would not contribute to having any of these inequities get magnified through a virtual program. And that's what we're hard at work trying to figure out. And so that's where we are right now, I'd say, in terms of our thinking with our programs. Yeah, I mean, I think this will be our gift. I mean, I think we at least, you know, we have the benefit, I think, of having this really incredible team and getting over a little bit of the what's going to happen to pivoting to like, okay, what are we going to do in a moment of uncertainty? And, you know, we've always said that like our pedagogy is to like lead with serving the most vulnerable, the hardest to reach, doing the hardest thing. And I'm really excited to see kind of the fruits of our labor for the summer program and really start building this model where we can actually reach girls of color, underserved girls, you know, in a remote learning environment where they actually thrive and not just survive. And I think that that is the key. 
you know, to making yeah. sure that that happens. And I think your team is doing an incredible job of leading with that, you know what I mean, uh, first and foremost. Why do you think that, like, you know, people are like, this is great for girls who code, right? It's like now it's like you can just reach so many girls and everybody's going to be focused on technology and they're going to realize that this matters. You know, why is not all virtual programming the long-term solution? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm glad, Reshma, that the two of us and many others stay very skeptical about whether or not it's the solution. And I think it's because we know in our gut we are not on equal footing when it comes to the virtual landscape. When I think about my own kids and the fact that they each have computers, for example, and the fact that I would not have anything that resembled that when I was their age, whatever the equivalent would have been, for me to have, I know that we cannot see virtual, as I said earlier, as the solution. If we have 12 million students who lack access to Wi-Fi, then we automatically have set up another unequal system. And listen, there's an opportunity here. We know, as you've said, we are energized and inspired to provide the best, most supportive, the most equitable online virtual model for our summer programming that we can come up with, but it cannot be this magical equalizer. And we know that having an in-person program and having girls come together and building the sisterhood in the way that that happens, where, as you said, Rushmore, girls aren't, you know, turning their cameras off, hiding their backgrounds, not wanting to necessarily communicate in that way, we know that there is a secret sauce and magic to our in-person program that we feel very committed to continuing in the future because our most disenfranchised students, their needs aren't going to be met with one modality. Virtual doesn't all of a sudden change their home life, change everything that's happening in terms of Wi-Fi and obligation and these other lack of resources. We have to continue to create spaces where girls come and are on equal footing. That's what our summer immersion program would do. You would show up at a corporate partner's office and all be the same instantly in a way that sounds simplistic, but it really isn't in terms of how we do our work. So I would say that we are completely open and eager to learn about the virtual landscape and the opportunities that it'll present you know, for us in serving our girls, but we are absolutely not committed to it being the only modality. It just simply doesn't meet the needs of the students who we know have been historically underrepresented and who we absolutely have to bring into the tech workforce. What you said was really powerful because when people come to our summer immersion program, you know, they kind of leave some of their inequity behind. Meaning what I mean by that is like you're sitting at the same desk and the same table and you have the same access in that moment. And that is not the case when we're each learning remotely at our homes. Like we are living in our inequity. And I do think that the opportunity for us is to figure out, can you quote solve for that? Like, can you teach in a way that can solve for that? But, you know, one of the things that I was struck by when this happened was that some of the school districts were like, you know what, we're just not going to teach at all because we can't offer equal access, equal opportunity, hardware. We're just not going to do it. And that's not the right response either. And also it's not the right response is we're just going to do remote learning and just see what happens. You know, I know there's some kids in New York City that didn't get a laptop for weeks Right. You know, and I don't know about you, like I was sharing, I've been sharing my laptop with my son until, you know what I mean? I was able to, for us to get our own devices. So, 
we have to think about this beyond just solving hardware needs and Wi-Fi needs, but taking the additional step of like, how do we teach in a way that allows for some amount of equity? And, and that's, I think it's a real challenge when we live in gentrification and poverty and racism and, and hunger to do that. I agree completely. I think you really said it well. So, you know, we just we had to rethink our program with this kind of inequity in mind, the inequity we've been talking about. And so we did a couple of things. We schedule learning that supports our girls who may be taking care of family or juggling other responsibilities. We also created flexible working time so that girls could work with each other in groups. And then something, Reshma, that we talked about was actually office hours. We thought it would be such a great idea to have office hours in place so that Girls Who Code staff could support girls with their coding projects. And, you know, when I shared this with you, you said to me, just remember that office hours mean different things to different girls. And I was like, you're right. The more that we thought about it, we can't have basically a structure where some girls raise their hand for that opportunity and get it, and other girls who wouldn't take advantage of it just would be left behind. And so we've rethought that component to make sure that the support is pushed in and that every girl gets that kind of individual attention. And then finally, um, one big thing for our traditional summer immersion program is that there'd be this amazing capstone project. The girls would present what they had worked on. Usually it's something that was like, you know, so high impact in terms of what it would do for a given community. Parents would come, the corporate partners would be in the office, and there would be not a dry eye in this quote-unquote graduation. We know we can't do that virtually, exactly. And so we thought about this capstone project, and we thought as much as we'd want it to be huge and impressive and just blow people away, that's not the point in this particular context. More important would be that every girl is able to devote equal time and energy to create a project where they get to really personalize it, that they can show off what they've learned in terms of coding, and that we're not, again, amplifying inequity at a time when we want every girl to be celebrated. So, you know, as we're redesigning to put our girls on more equal footing, I'm so inspired, as I know you are, right, by seeing how the resources that we are providing are inspiring our girls to do amazing things. Can you talk about anything that you've seen that's moved you? Listen, you can't sleep on our girls. They stay busy and they stay coming up with ideas to transform the world and their communities. And we just heard from one alum, Karina, who is creating masks for doctors and nurses on the front lines. So when you hear stories like that, you can't help but be inspired. I know that's just one, and we're going to have so many more like that. It's amazing. So I have a personal question. I have found this time to be, it's hard to be productive and it's hard to be innovative. Um, you know, I got a nine week old and a five year old at my feet. You know what I mean? And it seems like everybody always wants to be in the same room that I'm in when I'm trying to get something done. And I know you have two kids at home that you're trying to school at home and also a partner and a mother that you're supporting. And now you're being asked to lead the revamping of our longest keystone program. How do you do it? Hmm. Well, I will say that I'm probably a little half crazy right now in terms of how I feel, but I think what you're describing is probably so true for so many other leaders across organizations. And frankly, a lot of folks, regardless of whether or not they're in a leadership position, 
I don't think that I could have ever in my wildest dreams imagined this scenario because we were on one track to deliver an excellent summer experience, seven weeks long, multiple rounds, and we never thought there would be anything that would cause us to deviate from that. And here we are, the world turned upside down. I think that the motivating factor for me, and I certainly know, Reshma, it is for you because you remain an inspiration around this, is that our girls need us. And if we don't use this opportunity to kind of, I don't know, double down in in some ways and think about how we can, you know, meet their needs, sometimes you just don't have as many voices as you think, as many advocates as you think, pushing to kind of think about this programming in a space where there are so many other things that rightly are taking precedent because we have so many people experiencing so much physical suffering and turmoil and economic turmoil. So I think so much of this right now is just trying to find a little balance. My kids are basically elementary and middle school dropouts. They're crazy. They're so behind on all their work, confused. We're all in the same room, exactly what you're doing. Everybody's on a Zoom call that they consider more important than the other person's Zoom call. It's a mess. It's a complete mess. And so I don't know where I'd be, to be honest, without you, without my colleagues, because I've never worked with a more wonderful group of people. We are back and forth. We're on the phone all the time. We're on video calls all the time. It's the hardest set of things and decisions I think we've ever had to make, Mm -hmm. but we have each other. And I think that the core values that are central to Girls Who Code, um, our sisterhood, everything that we believe in allows us to weather this. And we are doing our best to come out on the other side, a stronger organization. But I can't say it's easy. I mean, everybody I think is in the same boat of never did you think there would be such a crazy mashup of the personal and professional. And so I think we just try to find the balance where we can. Um, And, you know, it's hard, but we're just sticking with it, you know. But I thank you for asking the question because I know (laughs) it's one that everybody is grappling with. Thank you so much for joining me and being, I wouldn't know what I would do without you. So (laughs) Right back at you, Rushmore. I feel blessed and lucky. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you, even though we talk every day. (laughs) (laughs) That was Tarika Barrett, the Chief Operating Officer of Girls Who Code, having a conversation with me about how Girls Who Code is responding to the corona crisis. In just a moment, I'm going to check in with one of our girls to see how she's being brave and showing leadership during this crisis. But first, I want to remind you to take a quick moment right now to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It'll only take a few seconds to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you're listening right now. That way you don't miss Brave Not Perfect, which comes out every other Tuesday. I'm so excited now to introduce you to Kayasu Machayo. She's an alum of our summer immersion program. Kayasu also founded and runs the Girls Who Code program at her college, which is called College Loops. She's shown tremendous leadership and bravery during the COVID-19 crisis, and I'm thrilled to have her on the show today. So we are living in crazy, uncertain times. We were just talking about that. Um, Where were you at when you kind of found out that this was happening and this was going to be, this was really going to affect the rest of your year? Yeah, so um, I have family who lives around the world um, because my mom and both of your parents came to this country as refugees um, from Uganda. And so 
my relatives live everywhere across the globe. And so I had been hearing about their situations and what is going on in different parts um, of the world. But when it actually happened here at my school in the D.C. area, um, my university started sending us emails about, you know, we're going to be extending spring break. And at the time I was like, okay, but I think that this is going to last a lot longer than that. And so I had tried my best to mentally prepare um, that I probably won't be coming back to this dorm room um, or finishing up my classes uh, on campus for the rest of the semester. So kind of around right before the week before spring break, I kind of felt it, but it wasn't official until I was actually home and our school canceled it. So that was my first uh, realization, I would say. But it, it was definitely a whirlwind. I think any mental processing I thought I had done, I had so much more to do once I actually got home and started taking online classes. So how has is, how is remote learning been? Personally, it's been a challenge. Uh, it's very different from being in the classroom environment, especially since some of my classes uh, were discussion-based. And so I'm grateful that I have, I live in a home that, I can have a quiet room to uh, do classes in, that I have access to Wi-Fi, but I know that that is not everyone's situation. And um, connecting with my sisters through Girls Who Code, um, my classmates, I know that it is very difficult for a lot of students. And uh, to be honest, the quality of education, the type of education is not the same either. We're um, under a lot of pressure uh, and stress uh, in the classroom, but also just in our everyday life. And so I think that as an addition to our regular workload is definitely uh, been an adjustment for everyone involved. What else are you hearing from some of your Girls Who Code sisters in terms of the things that they're struggling mm-hmm. with? Well, well, I'm really grateful because our um, Girls Who Code College Loop, we are from freshmen to seniors. We even have a graduate student um, who likes to pop in. That's awesome. But we're seeing everyone is experiencing this in different ways because um, our girls who are freshmen, they had just kind of started to get into the groove of things. And now going back home to an environment that you were probably missing and feeling like, oh, I had just you know, kind of felt at home, quote unquote, at college, and they're going to have to restart that process. For our seniors, it's been a lot of heartbreak. I will say that our seniors are very strong. They were speaking life into me when I was freaking out about all of the moving pieces financially, um, classroom wise. But I know that what they're feeling is is difficult. I mean, they're going to be graduating into very uncertain times. Um, And there's not a ton of closure that is going to be happening physically. Graduation, um, saying goodbye, packing up your dorm with, you know, your roommates. It's it's not going to be the same. But I have to say they're so incredibly strong because when I was, you know, when I was worried, they were like, Kaisu, it's going to be okay. We're going to see each other again. I'm going to come visit. And and that was just really comforting. And um, and. I'm just really grateful for an incredible sisterhood who um, supports one another. Kaisu, that's so powerful that you talk about closure. I wasn't even thinking of it that way, right? That like 
It is like I remember my college graduation and the end of my senior year, and it was almost like the marking the end of a certain part of my stage, and I was ready to go on to the next. And for a lot of people, they're not actually having it. I think that there is something also about being able to celebrate your hard work. And when you're not able to celebrate all the things that you've done, that's incredibly challenging. Caiusus, I know uh, you're the president of your college loop at George Washington. Tell me about how you're responding you know, to the crisis now, how you're gathering some of the things that you're working on. Well, I think at first when it happened, I wanted to allow everyone, myself included, to breathe, to feel like we can just take a breath and recuperate, whatever that looked like. And so I reached out with individuals, with my sisters, and I was one-on-one and I was like just making sure everyone was okay. And I think now we've been able to move toward a space of we have April and we have May and um, seeing how we can have these meetings virtually that everyone can be involved. We're planning on recording them as well so that people in different time zones can rewatch them. Um, but we're just going to be doing uh, the challenges that Girls Who Code has for us, open source challenges, um, creating your own challenge and Also, something that was really close to my heart was having our seniors give their wisdom uh, to us and for us to celebrate them. And so even though we won't be able to do that physically, um, I really want to make sure we do that virtually. So that is a main point for us. And I'm really looking forward to seeing all of our faces together on Google Hangouts or on Zoom or wherever we decide to meet and seeing everyone together and we're going to be having a nationwide college loop um, social in a few days now. So it's going to be really exciting for everyone to be together, um, even if it's virtually. If you could wave a magic wand and tell college administrators to do one thing to increase more women and women of color in tech, in computer science, what would it be? Mm. That's a powerful question, and uh, that's a lot of power. Uh, but I would say, ooh, I want to. I want to say it very carefully. I would say, develop a space of belonging for us. Encourage our sense of belonging in the engineering school, and I say that because I think the first step to feeling at home to feeling accepted is feeling like you belong. And a lot of that comes from how the environment is set up. It's also within. And so I don't want it to, we're not victims, women and women of color in the engineering school, um, in STEM, not only at my school, but across the country and around the world. They're there because they're brave. They already have something inside that they have decided that the external factors aren't going to stop them from being brave. But the like you mentioned to your question, I believe it's a part of college administration to make sure that we feel like we belong. Because when you're constantly feeling like you're an outsider or that you're not understood for whatever reason, you're not going to feel like you can fully express yourself. And so like being with you now, I feel like I can say whatever I need because I trust you and I feel like I belong here at Girls Who Code. And I can't say that 
every space I am in at my university, I feel that way. And I know I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I, I would also say that making sure that we feel like we can speak our mind and raise our voice in a space where we're not going to suffer repercussions just because we decide to be brave and um, stand up for not only ourselves, but all of the girls who will come behind us, we pray. Thank you so much for your wisdom. You made me think about a lot of things. I think you'll make our listeners think about a lot of things. And I'm always in awe and admiration of you. Thank you so much, Reshma. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to meet with me and your kindness and, and your grace. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I know everything's really hard right now. I wanted to share some bravery coming from our girls and what we're doing at Girls in Code because we're trying to be a strong model of what can be done in these times of crisis. A beacon of hope. I don't know what the next few months will bring, but we're going to continue our important work. We're going to continue to serve our girls and we're going to continue to adapt to our changing realities. So we come out on the other side of this stronger. Did you enjoy today's show? Then you should make sure to subscribe to the Brave Not Perfect podcast. That way you never miss an episode. Brave Not Perfect comes out every other Tuesday. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Ashley Dejan, the executive producer of the show. Tanya Zaparonic and Charlotte Stone are my co-producers, and we, of course, couldn't do it without the support of Deborah Singer and Jenny Josephson. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon.